IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon-Miller at Lizlet on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And happy Monday as you listen to this. Hopefully this week is opening well. It's like not a complete, utter garbage fire. Because that'd be nice. It'd be nice to for this week to, as you listen to this, to be not a garbage fire. Yeah, just a good pivot. Just a nice, nice pivot away from fires. Yeah, just, you know, good. Good things happening to good people. And, you know, not hearing about bad people. Mm, the dream. The dream. And one thing that happened uh, last week, as you listen to this, was uh, two new TV shows came out um, with a couple of things in common um, that we're going to get into today. Uh, I mean, in general, I think this is a larger topic conversation than just, say, two sitcoms that happened to premiere on various broadcast networks. But, you know, they're a good lens for looking at this. Well, it's also, I don't think we mentioned this in the in, when we were discussing it, but one is, at least in its advertising, making a very clear case that it skews to the left, mm. and another has at least been hounded for the idea that it would skew to the right. Um, so there's a, there's a little bit of a pol- political dynamic at play with Murphy Brown and Last Man Standing. Indeedy. Uh, also, it helps, I mean... <clears throat> I mean, we're clearly coming at this from our very well-balanced, apolitical, not at all, like, influenced by the current events of today uh, standpoint. Um, as all viewers are. As all viewers are. No one ever is influenced by their personal politics when they sit down to watch a television show or, or a podcast. Um, I mean, it's it's just we, we all turn that part of our brain off uh, when we sit down to enjoy entertainment because entertainment should be pure and not make any points about anything. You know, it's just so easy these days to, you know, keep those parts of your life from intruding, which is actually part of what The Last Man Standing premiere talks about. Yeah? How is that? Uh, well, in the return of Last Man Standing, um, I don't think it's been, it's definitely not long awaited because it wasn't canceled for that long, and I it's don't like know. about like a year and a half it was off the air, essentially. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think... <laughs> Without riling up the fan base, I don't think it's safe to say that many people were dying for this show to come back so much as a significant portion enough. Um, but no, the, the premiere of season seven goes full force into politics in that um, Tim Allen, a.k.a. Mike Baxter's daughter, returns from um, her Air Force Academy uh, oh, and Lord. clashes with um, one of the one of her sisters, the uh, new cast member whose name I do not know, um, because you know one's about defending the country and honoring the oath and love it or leave it. The other is very much we need to be questioning these things and these are problematic. And the thing that's frustrating Mike is just the idea that his whole family is uh, is ensconced in these debates of of politics. They just can't talk about anything other than politics they can't agree on anything in regards to politics and he is trying to drive home the point that america is supposed to be better than this and that we don't let our divisions you know uh tear us apart we're supposed to have conversations we're supposed to have disagreements but uh the caustic nature of where we're at today is uh is destroying everything including families uh, it's an interesting idea. Um, it's actually presented much better than I would have expected it to be, uh, given the voice. But um, 
but no, it's it 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 talks about very specifically how even people who were apolitical before or who avoided politics um, are going to be enveloped by it because it's it's infiltrating everything. It's it's in his you know his manly sports store and it's on his daughter's social media pages where she once was just looking at celebrities and stuff and now they're all talking about politics. So um, it's it's interesting because I don't. I, wasn't paying super close attention to the TCAs when Last Man Standing team was there and they were talking about Trump and all of it. But I, I think they, they said that they weren't, that they didn't want to be defined by that. Like they weren't going to be the next Roseanne and make it all about those issues so much as those issues are just there and they'll kind of be middle of the road on it. I mean, if I recall the article I actually wrote correctly, um, I think the headline was something like, Tim Allen won't be a Trump supporter or yeah. vocal. I think the idea was like, you know, his politics have, or will be the character's politics, which have always been right leaning, but he won't be like actively vocally supporting Trump. The similarly in contrast to how Roseanne in the very first episode of the Roseanne revival was like, Trump, he's great jobs. Yeah, this is in line. I, I found your quote. Um, right now, the producer's plans are simply not to address whether he might be a Trump supporter. Um, while Mike Baxter, played by Tim Allen, is clearly a conservative character in Outlook, the emphasis is meant to be on how he has a centrist viewpoint. And that's very much what they're pushing for in the premiere. I find it interesting that on the, uh, that the story is about how he doesn't want to talk about politics. Yeah, it's and, and he's... He'll make his quips, like he'll he'll make his his jokes, kind of about it in in the episode. And he he enjoys it, admittedly, almost apologetically, enjoys mocking his son-in-law, who is just you know enraged by everything that's happening and can't focus on anything other than the news. Um, but he is very much like the character who's like, uh, you know, teaching his his grandson that even though the pieces of the motorcycle uh, are broken. Uh, the, the 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 bike as a whole can still be saved. Like it can still be brought together as long as we work together and whatever. This so, is the very carefully crafted subtle metaphor that they come up with. Too. It's very it's very blunt metaphor. It's it's honestly something where it's it's <laughs> for all for as horribly like again one of the things that kept surrounding Last Man Standing was Roseanne. It was like the idea that Roseanne was this conservative character and the ratings were so good, so there's an audience for it. So they've been dogged by this, but Roseanne was terrible at addressing these issues. Like the 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 writing, the the the, the message, even if they were trying to be kind of neutral, it never worked. It was so bad. Last Man Standing is is a is adept enough to do this. Like it it can kind of just play it off. And there's certainly terrible things to you know to to cite against the show, but um, like it's not trying to pretend that this is a elegant, beautiful, perfect metaphor. It's trying to be Tim Allen is uh, America's dad and he's here to bring us all together. Like it wants him to be that heroic character and you know, the show's the show's fine at it. So um, but no it's it's uh, it's interesting that it got there because as I think what we mainly wanted to talk about and to bring Murphy Brown more into the conversation was the opening of the episode is very just a, a, a meta reference to the fact that it was It's a two-minute long barrage of meta references, <laughs> each more painful than the last. 
Well, what's interesting about about the opening, and again, I I, I don't want to defend it too much, um, but it is baked into the series DNA. So the pilot of Last Man Standing features a number of meta references. Um, ironically enough, well, no, well, kind of, but ironically enough to the fact that Tim Allen is back on ABC. Ah. Um, like the opening of, of the episode has a similar moment to the opening of the season seven premiere in that um, he says something like, oh, hold on, I have my notes. Um, oh, he, he makes kind of a winking. I don't think he actually looks at the camera, which he does do in mm-hmm. <laughs> in the season seven premiere. But in the pilot, he does like kind of walk by, and the last line before the title sequence is "It's good for it's good to be home," and it's very much a "It's good to be back on ABC" kind of moment. Mm-hmm. Later in the episode, he does his trademark um, uh, and beyond, like voice from Buzz Lightyear and ah. Toy Story. Um, so there's a lot of of kind of winking and pulling at like the idea that. You know, this is Tim Allen. We know it's Tim Allen. We're just going to watch Tim Allen, and there's a meta story outside of it. Now, again, the season seven premiere lays it on so thick that it's... <laughs> it hurt me, Ben. <laughs> I know. I was there. It hurt me. I you, I apologize for being so so angry about it, but it was really painful. Yeah. I, I wasn't... Uh, again, like, I think the... I think the the tipping point for me is, and you compared this to Fuller House um, as another show that was like very meta about acknowledging the audience and its past and the fact that the Olsen twins weren't on the show anymore and that they were calling them out for it and they did this in a terrible way. They did this in a way where it did not make sense. They didn't even bother to play it off as though it would make sense within the context of the show. Right. Um, the Last Man Standing opening, as obvious as it is to what they're really doing, does make sense within the reality of this television show. I'm really, I don't think we, I anticipated when when we were kicking around this topic that this would be quite the deep dive into the legacy of Last Man Standing as it's become. Yeah, I don't think it has a legacy. I just think it's important to, I think it's important to, and again, I'm curious what you think about Murphy Brown in this context. I think it's important to look at the shows as they're being revived to see how they how they adhere to their past and show respect to their fan base. And there's a line within, you know, the, the Last Man Standing season seven premiere where he says something about, like, the whole joke is that uh, the son-in-law, or the, I think he, I don't even think he's the son-in-law, I think he's just a boyfriend of one of the daughters who right. also works with Tim or Mike. Um, he's sitting there and he goes, I think, I can't find my favorite show. And the wife says, um, uh. maybe it got canceled. And he goes, why would they cancel a show that's so popular and everybody loves it? Which... Again, like, was not the case with Last Man Standing. It deserved to be canceled. It didn't have the ratings. Um, and it wasn't a pliable business decision for ABC. So That Twitter handle is Ben T. Travers. Accurate. Um, but then Tim comes in and he goes, maybe they're a bunch of idiots. He right. says, check another channel. The wife says, uh, and I'm, I, I apologize, I don't remember the wife's name, but they Nancy definitely Travis. treat her. Well, that's the actress's name, yeah. but I don't remember her character name because I she's very much just treated like the wife and the mom. Um and she says, anyway, Tim says, check another channel. She says, it's not just going to be on another channel if it gets canceled. The kid finds it. And he goes, oh, there it is. Thanks, Mr. B. And then, you know, it's a big joke about the fact that Last Man Standing moved from ABC, where it was canceled, to Fox, where it was revived. Point being, um, there's a line in there as well where he says something about having 
they must have a bunch of kick-ass fans to be able to pull this off. Yeah. So it's it's like a nod toward the fandom who is so passionate to the point of being wrong multiple <laughs> times um, and just, you know, stating facts that aren't facts and trying to use that as arguments. But whatever, it worked for them. So congratulations on working the system just like everybody else is doing these days. Brava. Um, but the problem was was just was just that it was so blunt that it's it's very fan servicey and yet that's kind of what they seem to want and that's kind of what the show has always done like it may not have been <laughs> as exaggerated as this but because it's always worked that way there was something about it where I'm like that's fine whereas Fuller House wasn't like Full House didn't do that Full House didn't do the kind of thing it right. was also just better written it wasn't a, the best show in the world but it was it was again just something that was functional and Fuller House is a, a garbage fire it's something that's that's <laughs> Uh, that's perfect for the time of the day and that it is one of the worst creations in the world. I think even, I think Dan Feinberg had one of the tweets of the day as the Kavanaugh hearings were happening. We're recording this on Thursday. Um, he said like something to the to the effect of, I remember when the worst thing I had to watch all day was the season of Fuller House. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's actually very fitting in comparison because it, it doesn't, it doesn't honor what came before. It is talking about what came before, but it's not doing so in the context of a show that had always done it this way. It's reaching outside of itself to try to be edgy and 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 appeal to new fans or just be lazy and tie something in because they thought of it and just went with it. Last Man Standing doesn't quite go that far, so it wasn't as bad for me. It, it Because it kind of fit whatever had come before, and that's what people want, it may not be great television, but it's not as egregiously indefensible as something like Fuller House. And this will finally end my long rant, and we can hear from somebody who should be talking instead of me. Um, Liz, talk about how Murphy Brown resurrects itself and how it is both like and unlike its past version of itself. Well, and I mean, the thing, I feel like the thing is, like, if we're going on the scale of how much does this recreate what came before i would say murphy brown the, the revival is right in line with what was before um and it's it takes place in the same universe i feel like it, there's a nice like you know there i feel like all the things that they do in order to kind of catch us up with uh, murphy brown post basically she's retired from the show fyi um and then she has to get she decides to get the band back together to create a new show called Murphy in the Morning, which is a cable news morning program, basically a panel show similar to the ones that uh, you may may or may not watch every morning, uh, and it's, I mean, it's in, in many ways like it's very much what you'd expect. Um, I think the things that I really liked it, I really enjoyed it. A big part of it is just like I. How I, I watched the original show as a very young person. I had like a very, it was formative for me in certain key ways. Like I liked Murphy as a character. I liked that she was a lady and she got to yell at people. She didn't have to be nice. And she got to also be cool and like do things and like have an opinion. Um, like even even my very young nascent brain, like I, I picked up on those elements and they really meant a lot to me. Uh, also weirdly, crush on Eldon. I don't know why. But uh, and I, I, I I'm backed up by at least one other person. If you had a crush on Eldon from Murphy Brown in the original series, let me know because I feel like we're gonna we're gonna get a group of us together. We're gonna have a conversation. We're gonna remember Robert Pastorelli. Uh, oh boy. Yeah, and the the way he deserves to be remembered. Mm -hmm. uh, anyways, uh, I mean, 
I'm to be very clear, Murphy Brown definitely if you are if, if you are allergic to revival meta jokes, you're gonna there are going to be definitely points that Murphy Brown hits you. Um I will a minor spoiler for the season premiere, um, which has been out for a couple of days as you listen to this, so uh, I apologize. But there is one scene where Murphy Brown is being asked to tweet. Um, so her son, Avery, helps get her set up on Twitter. Um, she's very excited about her shiny new phone, which I enjoyed. Um, <clears throat> and her first tweet is, I went on a date with Donald Trump. Um, he insisted we split the check. And... Uh, and, and meanwhile, like her son's like, oh God, don't tweet about Trump. You're just going to attract a lot of attention. She's like, no, no, it's fine. Look, I've got new followers. And she's having a great time. And he leaves the room. And as he leaves, he's like, mom, just be careful. Shows have been canceled for less. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, it is definitely a re- reference to Roseanne. But it's also a joke that will play, uh, that will play um, down the line. Well, it's interesting that. It's, and it's also like it's also like buried later in the episode. It's not like the first thing that happens. Well, sure, but it's also interesting just because Murphy Brown is like you said, it's a news show. So like the idea that they would comment on current events, uh, almost they they seem to be. They, I would think they'd get a pass for that. Oh, I would yeah. think that 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 kind of joke, which um, is a nod to another show, but also to just a significant portion of the of of or a significant news story. Um, you know, that's fine. Well, like, like, I would th- I would find it hard to believe that people would be upset by that for the same reasons, even if, you know, <laughs> the idea that they're upset by anything, you know, kind of self-referential or connected or, you know, overly uh, reliant on, on being up to date, you know, that that's fair. I get I get frustrated by that sometimes. Sometimes it really drives me the wrong, it really rubs me the wrong way. See, for example, Last Man Standing. But I mean, with Murphy Brown also, you have to incorporate, you have to take into account little facts like Candace Bergen did go on a date with Donald Trump once. Uh, that's a real life thing. And there is a reference later in the episode to Dan Quayle, who the fictional Murphy Brown and the real show had a very famous dispute with back in the 90s. Um, <clears throat> where, uh, For those who don't want to Google or don't remember, basically the then vice president called Murphy Brown out as it is as a example of how, you know, of single motherhood destroying the American family or something like that. Uh, I'm doing a very bad job of summarizing it. It's actually a more nuanced story than you might think. But the point is, is that basically a fictional, he, the way in which he critiqued the character made it unclear that he knew it was a fictional character he was critiquing. And so the whole thing got like, of course, blew up in the way that things used to blow blow up before Twitter. Um, But they're very much courting like that same, that same level of controversy. It's something they very much want. Um, They're literally goading Trump in the first episode into tweeting at them. Then uh, they have fake tweets by him appear on screen. And so the question is, of course, like if real tweets from Trump do start showing up, uh, how they'll handle them. Uh, the second episode also like incorporates footage featuring Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Um, like they use real footage of her um, and then interact with her, you know, intercut it in certain ways and they have a voice double, um, you know, doing lines off screen. It's pretty impressive um, and, and, and conceptually. And it's, it's not going to be a show that people want to watch if they want to escape from politics. But it is a show that I feel, I, I personally felt when I was watching it that the way in which it was engaging with these issues was very much up, very much kind of reflected how I feel right now, personally, just honestly. Like, just like it had that level, 
like the anger and the frustration and the hope though that there can be something we can do by in some way um the other thing i want to make sure i mention is that there is one element that is kind of funny in that this is the third show I can think of now that begins with a blonde woman on election night 2016 yelling at her television. Oh, man. Um, That's interesting. The, others, the other examples would be uh, American Horror Story Cult and The Good Fight. <laughs> one abysmal, one great, one Murphy Brown. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I feel, yeah. like, I, I feel like the reviews on Murphy Brown have been mixed. And for, you know, I see the reasoning, um, but I really responded to it. And I think, I think it really captures, it really captures an attitude that I feel like I connected with a lot. And I feel like in, you know, for, and so I can't, in, in, in that respect, I can't begrudge a last man standing fan who feels like the way Mike Baxter talks about the world reflects the way he talks about the world or she. Um, so, you know, I, mean, I think we all come to television looking for something and then make, and that's what, you know, and that it, it's part of why I feel like the revivals are happening because that's an established brand and we know that those voices exist. Yeah. And I often, often have to catch myself, uh, when I'm writing something. And again, like Roseanne's a great example because, you know, Roseanne would say a lot of things on the show that were just, you know, as, as, as. Uh, as a liberal, as a, as a you know, a Democrat, as as somebody who's you know skewing hard to the left, would they'd enrage me because they just, I mean, some of them were lies, some of them were just promoting something that shouldn't be promoted, some of them were just really you know ignorant. But the biggest problem I had with Roseanne as a critic, and what I always tried to infuse into the writing, was that it was bad writing. It was bad writing. It was bad performing. It was a bad television show. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that it was. Uh, the idea that it was annoying for somebody who was a you know left centric to watch it that doesn't it doesn't matter as much like it matters more you know in terms of you know recommending or not uh, whether or not it's actually well written and um, when ideas start to be when somebody's given a voice and they're using it irresponsibly that needs to be called out as well but people who are looking for certain things in television shows that spans you know a wide array of reasons as as you mentioned mm-hmm. um, so again the idea that last man standing has a plot line in the premiere about Mike Baxter telling his son-in-law to just turn off the news to just disengage to just not care about it for a while because your family needs you and this is distracting you from uh, taking care of them that's infuriating as somebody who, actively thinks, you know, we need to make sure people are engaged. We need to make sure people vote in November. We need to make sure people, you know, do all of this stuff. But that is not a writing problem. And that is not a, it's not even really something that the episode revolves around in a way that becomes problematic. It's something I disagree with on principle, but it's not something I disagree with uh, in terms of <laughs> whether or not it, his, the jokes he was telling in that scene or uh, the motivations that the characters had were authentic. So uh, the, the the criticism that I'd have of this is, is partially like it's not the right time for this to come out on a Friday when, you know, the Kavanaugh hearings are, are ending and, and the vote is about to happen. And, and like that's not, a, that's not good timing for this kind of argument to get out there. But at the same time, for the people who are seeking out this show anyway, I think they're going to be happy with what they find. Um, and when it comes to something like, you know, these meta references that we keep coming up with or keep mentioning and even, even you know, tying things in that came before, like working your way back to stuff that happened in the original series, 
a lot of the time it just boils down to was it a well-written scene was it a well-performed scene was it a well-executed scene because if the writers and the performers and the director everybody if they go into it with the idea that you know we want to tell the best version of this as possible while still getting in that joke or while still referencing that thing then it's going to work out fine but if it's something where you can feel them reaching for it in the moment that's when it turns into a disaster and that's when people are taken out of it and that's when usually the revival aspect of it starts to fall apart Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean i think i think like to be to be clear i feel like the writing on murphy brown really holds up like i think yeah no that was not a response to to anything you said about the, the quality of murphy brown it was more of the the general idea that i think what works and what doesn't work when it when in terms of referencing stuff that's outside of the scene, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is reliant on just how skilled the people are developing that scene. So, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how both of these shows do uh, going forward. Um, be interesting to see how a lot of uh, all this broadcast uh, stuff is coming out right now. Um, it's it's a weird time. I'm lots of television happening. Which speaking of which, Ben. What was the best thing you watched last week? Uh, the best thing I watched last week was America to me. It's still one of, if not the best show on TV. Um, but uh, I will also give another shout out to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, Yay! Who always, always expert satirists, satirists. What, satirists. Satirists. Um, <laughs> they, they had a, a Time's Up episode, um, notably written and directed by women um, that just works beautifully. Uh, the, the, the formal elements they brought in to telling it added such a gleeful punctuation to a lot of what was going on as well as kind of, um, I mean, similarly to what we were talking about, mining the history of the show in a way that made it feel authentic, like for them to be talking about this and for them to be um, using these characters as the bad examples that they are of uh, misogynistic and harassing behavior mm-hmm. uh, that really worked beautifully. Um, and it's a hilarious episode on its own. Um, again, Glenn Howerton, his Dennis is just incomparable. Um, so anyway. I'm glad that Dennis is in the Time's Up episode. That feels like relatively essential. Uh, it. it even more than even even more than you may imagine. Um, but no, that's so. Those are those are my picks. Liz, what was the best thing you watched this week that wasn't Murphy Brown? I was gonna say because I, I actually like on my on my usual worksheet I did to put down Murphy Brown. I'm gonna do my weekly shout out to Better Call Saul, which has been really really good. This last episode is I need to really rewatch like large chunks of it and really parse how just how good it gets. Uh, it's sad. Oh, but um, <clears throat> I feel like there's other stuff. I um, I will say I'm interest, very interested in where The Walking Dead is going this season. Uh, and I have watched the first three episodes of the season. Uh, I'm not a huge fan. Of, I'm not like when I say I'm not a huge fan of the show. I just mean like like I can't like there are characters I don't know. It's weird to watch a show and not know like every element, every fan, every, every fan trivia beat that I know that like a more dedicated you know follower of the series would know it's weird to watch a show that has such a huge fan base and not be on that level is basically what I'm saying normally I feel like if I'm watching a show I'm usually on par with the average viewer and 
Yet I still find it really interesting, and I think they think they cha- they make a real point of taking chances this season with some big moves, and it'll be interesting to see how the fandom reacts, and it'll be interesting to see how critics react. Well, it's it's definitely something where they recognize their star is leaving, and whenever something like that happens, um, a, a shift will occur. There's always a, a group of people who will want to leave the show at that point along with the star. So they've got to do something to try to you know, stem that tide. And AMC started early. It sounds like the writers have started early. It sounds like they're making a... I mean, even to us, just reaching out to reporters, they've made a, a big change this year in terms of trying to get attention to the show and trying to get new perspectives involved. So... I would make I would make the point that it's less it, it, Andrew Lincoln leaving is definitely a big deal, but it has a lot. I think a big part of it is like the new show, the, sh- the change in showrunner. It sounds like has had a real impact. Um, to quote to quote Norman Reedus, we talk so much more now. Um, so I think it's like I said, it'll be interesting. Um, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, the next thing I'm looking forward to is uh, Superstore. Yay! Uh, very excited for the NBC sitcom to return for season four, right? Or is yeah. it five? Is it five? Shoot, I should know this. Uh, if only we, if only we had played an elaborate game in which we were quizzed on these issues. I think this probably had too it's few, four. too few seasons to be quizzed on. Uh, it's, it is, yeah, it's four. Um, but I, it's, it's just become an excellent little show. Um, little not being derogatory at all it's it's very focused on uh you know the store itself what's going on inside of it the relationships that are formed because of it um it's very very funny the performances are on on mark they do a great job of filling their like every second with something that's amusing especially during those little segues where they just show the customers which have become a fan favorite um but it's very accessible very smart um it's very proactive in a great way and I think it's one of the better examples of how writers are learning new ways to explore a central couple in a comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always been a struggle ever since. I mean, ever since Friends ended, um, you know, a lot of a lot of these have fallen into recognizable tropes or. Um, so obviously just trying to break from the predictable that it feels unearned <sighs> new girl um but okay. uh, <laughs> but they've done a, a mark a, a remarkable job with their core couple in such a way that i don't feel like the show is dependent on them or on them staying together it's just been fun to watch everything happen and i think it will continue to be this year so anyway that's the one um I'm going to hold off. I had another one, but I'm going to hold off because I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point anyway. And you might now. So, Liz, what is the next thing you're looking forward to? Okay. Well, uh, gosh, I was going to think of something. I'm going to say um, I watched and reviewed the first episode of Manifest for us. And, oh, boy. Um, all I, I mean, my headline, it's basically my headline is what is this show? And I'm looking forward to seeing episode two. And hopefully at that point I will know what the show is. Um, but who knows? I could maybe we could not know what the show is for years to come. All right, I'm gonna step back in. Uh, Big Mouth is coming out, oh, so yeah. Big Mouth season two is worth looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make sure we said something good. Yeah. Actually, no. the The thing I the thing I'm trying to get up the nerve to check out um, is an upcoming Netflix co- drama called The Haunting of Hill House. 
um, which is starting to sound, starting to pick up some really exciting buzz. Um, it's based on the Shirley Jackson short story. It's based on, it's based on, it, it, or not story. It's a, one of her novels, and it sounds really scary. And I don't like that. Not a scare, not a fan of being scared, but I am a fan of Carla, Carla Gugino. So we we do a lot of things for Carla Gugino these days. Californication star Carla. See, multiple rock movies, Carla. That's true. Yeah, it's weird. It's just like, I, I guess they're friends. Maybe I like she's it. she's just tall enough. What? Maybe she's just tall enough. Is she tall, you think? I think she's probably tall. She's probably I should, pretty tall. I should remember I've met her. When did you meet her? I met her at some party. Was it, like, was it for a show? No. It she's was just a general, at a party. It was a general party. Okay. I want to say it was one of those like network things, but mm. I can't for life remember what she would have been there for. I don't know. Carla Gugino is everywhere and nowhere. Yeah, she's great. She's great. Karen Cisco. That was almost a show. Mm. Um, but uh, Carl, you can read more about Carla Gugino. I'm pretty sure on IndieWire.com. I'm pretty sure we've covered her at least a couple of times, and you'll probably read more about her in the future. Um, and you also find news, reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like there. Uh, and I don't know about their Carlo Gugino content, but make sure to listen to IndieWire's uh, wonderful set of podcasts, including Turn It On podcast with our own Michael Schneider, um, the one that started it all, Screen Talk with Eric Cohn and Ann Thompson, and of course, uh, the great Chris O'Fault, whose uh, recent profile of Kerry Fukunaga, as well as a wonderful piece um, about certain 90s films that are being lost to uh, preservation purposes uh, is, is stellar work that you need to read, but I'm sure he'll get into some of that stuff on the podcast too. So make sure you listen to the Filmmaker Toolkit podcast with the one, the only, Chris O'Fall. Yep. You can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. You can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and then an E. Correct. We will be back next week. As always, you guys, thank you so much for listening. And we know it's hard, but we believe in you. You can do it. You can. Keep watching television.